0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending November 26th. 2022. This week, Disney kicks Chapek right in his synergy machine. I'm Kim Hollis and I'm here with David Mumpower and Raul Buriel. We're recording a special episode this week because of the seismic news that broke on Sunday as Disney announced that current CEO Bob Chapek was now their former CEO and former CEO Bob Iger was now their current CEO. What is going on? on. Well, let's talk about a fateful Sunday night for a lot of people, myself included.
1: Bob Chapicks awaiting his premier gig at a historic event. We're talking about him introducing Elton John on stage at the musician's final concert at Dodger Stadium. Elton John is retiring after a 50-year career. It's an event recorded for Posterity and live-streamed on Disney+. Plus. So chappic somehow winds up with the gig, and the way he winds up with the gig was he's running Disney at the time. It's to be one of the seminal moments of his career, only it never happened because a few minutes before 10 p.m. on Sunday, I started getting texts that were frankly, Kim, you saw my face. They were absolutely impossible to believe and you thought they were fake didn't
0: you? I didn't think the texts were fake, but I thought the tweets were potentially fake. It was like, um, okay. So it was following
1: its own tell. You have to figure out what the original source for all of it is because all the people we're hearing from, we trust with our lives, but the subject was so wild and insane. I still haven't processed it. Well, that's what we're doing right now is
2: processing it. And it's going to take us some time to process
1: what has happened is Chapik finds out in a five minute phone call that he is out. And this is almost a direct quote. Disney would have their lawyers call his lawyers. And Chapik is out in favor of Bob Iger, who chose Chapik to succeed him as the CEO of Disney. So it's it's one of the wildest media stories of our lives, isn't it, Roel?
2: You have to consider this along the lines with Apple announcing the return of Steve Jobs. This is right up there. One of the biggest things to ever happen in industry. When you sent me that message on Sunday night, I thought you were riffing off of something that we had actually been chatting about earlier that night because i had just finished watching the mickey mouse documentary the story of a mouse on disney plus and i thought it unusual that as they move through the history of mickey mouse and they get to the latter stages they interview some disney executives and the disney executive they interview in that documentary is bob Iger, and i'm like this is weird and I assume Chappic's going to come up in this documentary at some point, and he doesn't. They have numerous different moments with Bob Iger, but Chappic, evidently the CEO of Disney at the time this documentary was filmed, never shows up. And so I sent I sent David a message that afternoon saying, "Yeah, it's weird that they have these interviews with Bob Iger, but Chappic doesn't show up." And then that evening, he sent me a message: "Chappic's out, Iger's in." Oh, haha, funny. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can only imagine because I feel very sure I would have thought the same as you that that he was kidding. It was so out of nowhere and surprising at 10 o'clock on Sunday night. (laughs)
1: That's the thing about it. And we need to emphasize this it was merciless. I mean, Disney did not hesitate. Apparently, this had been something going on for a long period of time. But from the actual time that Disney's chairperson of the board, Susan Arnold, reached out to Bob Iger to see if he had interest to the time that Chappick was actually out was less than 72 hours. This came together in the blink of an eye. This is a, we hate you, get out. That's all you can say about it. Before we get into
2: what's next, because there's going to be a lot Let's do some background here that hopefully will be very quick. Bob Iger is the former CEO and chairman of the Walt Disney Company. He led the company for over a decade. During his time there, succeeding former CEO Michael Eisner, he oversaw a massive expansion that saw Disney acquire Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, which is Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and let's not forget Willow, and 20th Century Fox. Disney is now unquestionably the most powerful studio in Hollywood, one of the largest companies in the world. And large. Largely, this is on the backs of these acquisitions. Iger postponed his retirement as CEO a number of times because he, what, couldn't let go? He was finally set to retire just before the COVID-19 pandemic and then stayed on for another year as chairman to help while the company dealt with the pandemic as the shutdowns affected the company's theme parks, cruise line, and theatrical revenue.
1: Yeah, that's the part of this we need to underscore. Iger had recognized the emerging threat of COVID-19 in mid-January of 2020. By the end of the month, Shanghai Disneyland had closed due to the first significant pandemic outbreak, which led Iger to put two and two together. He's a super sharp guy, and he's like, oh, this is going to be bad.
2: Over the next few weeks, he coordinated his exit from Disney by naming a successor, only it wasn't the person everyone expected. Iger went with former parks chairman Bob chapik a numbers guy over creative geniuses like favorite son, Kevin Mayer.
1: Yeah, at that point, the writing wasn't just on the wall. It was written in blood. Iger knew it was bad, so he picked a balance sheet expert to take over the company rather than the creative guy who had his fingerprints all over Disney+. Plus. It was a really desperate situation. The reasons why Chappick had fallen behind Mayer in the CEO race came to light during his tenure. We know now that Mayer has told people he was specifically told he was going to be the next CEO of Disney. They had decided they were going all in on Disney Plus and they wanted its architect in charge of the company. But then the pandemic changed all the calculus; just destroyed everything. And so now we're left with Chapic and... <sighs> Oh my God, he's a stubborn man. He is a stubborn, insular man who doesn't have a large circle of people he trusts. And if he's going to be CEO of Disney, he's going to do it in a way where he controls everything. Disney is not the type of company that can work like that. And it was just infuriating to Ike just infuriating that all these people that Iger is empowered suddenly get neutered by Chappie. Let's be honest about the fact that in the right role, Chappie would be a solid Wall Street CEO because he's great at managing cataclysmic circumstances to keep a company solvent, which, by the way, that is a rare and profound skill. We should not undersell that. But Disney is not and never could be the right role for him because he lacks the social skills that are absolutely imperative to keep Wall Street and Hollywood happy. Disney's leader simply has to possess that skill, that ability to glad hand, to network, to politic, to get its way with things. Chapic doesn't have that at all. I mean, we should also be fair here in mentioning that Iger's help in staying on as the chairman at the start of Chappick's tenure was questionable at best. Some felt he was overriding Chappick way too often. There's that Bill Parcells quote people like to use, if you're going to have me cook the meal, let me shop for the groceries. Iger was not letting Chappick shop or anything. We've reached a point where the board person, Susan Arnold, she is having to weigh in on these things because the two men keep butting heads over the most mundane stuff. It is all ego and stubbornness from two people who frankly are powerful and don't like to be told no on anything. And Arnold starts taking chappic side more because her belief is Iger's leaving the company, right? Folks, we need to emphasize this because it's important. Iger announced his retirement in February 2020. He didn't leave until New Year's Eve 2021, which means his retirement has lasted less than 11 months. And so there's just a vibe within the company. It's how will we miss Bob Iger if he won't Go away. Chapic
2: always had the Iger shadow over him. And even after Iger was well and truly gone, people were always still going to ask, well, is that really the way Iger would have done it? Why are you changing the structure of the company that Iger had set up? Did he not set it up in a successful way? There was always going to be second guessing here. And indeed, everyone seems to have enjoyed the news that Chapek was out and Iger was back. After the initial news of Iger's return and Chapek's departure on Sunday night, Disney's stock spiked. And even cranky old man Jim Cramer was calling for people to buy the Disney stock. But with this praise, there's been criticism as well, largely focused on Iger's original succession plan. While Iger probably left Disney in as orderly a fashion as possible, it just seemed an untenable situation for Chapic, Made all the more difficult with Iger watching over his shoulder and second-guessing his every move.
1: Yes. And I want to throw in the fact that in some instances, Iger was obviously 100% correct. Because there is a story that came out that frankly has bothered me. And that was there was an awareness that the uh, President of the United States was going to sign into law something that would give protections to people who got laid off at the start of the pandemic. So all Disney had to do was not perform its layoffs until such time as that language was ratified into law. Wasn't going to be a huge amount of time. We're talking weeks at most days as a possibility. Chapic didn't want to wait. He was like, screw 20,000 of my loyal employees. I'm just going to go ahead and start thinning the herd right now because that will make my numbers look better on the bottom line, which is frankly borderline subhuman. Iger interfered and he got his way and that saved a lot of people in Anaheim and in Orlando from having devastating financial losses from us.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. He seemed to step in it constantly from the start. There were a number of missteps for Chappie along the way, including very public fights with actress Scarlett Johansson over revenue from her movie Black Widow and the state of Florida ostensibly over Walt Disney World's Reedy Creek Development District. But really, it was a consequence of Chappie's belated support for his employees' LGBTQ rights. All along, Chappick also had to deal with the consequences of decisions that were made by his predecessor, as well as a worsening economic climate. And yet, just a couple of weeks ago, even though Disney reported disappointing earnings and a bleak forecast, Chapic finally seemed to be coming into his own. I no question about it, it's on the record. I thought Chapic finally looked like the leader he needed to be, confident and assertive,
1: yet publicly engaging and affable, but I guess that wasn't the case. Yeah, we're just learning how tumultuous the past six months have been behind the scenes of Disney. And honestly, we're not surprised. When Chapik got what was effectively the two-year contract extension, we figured, well, this is just the way Disney is going to be for a while. That is the reality of the situation, but apparently behind the scenes, absolute chaos. Most notably, Chappick fired Peter Rice and promoted Dana Walden as a replacement, which, you know, from a business perspective, they were co-partners for the most part, almost. And I know that Rice gets most of the credit there, but that's because Hollywood is incredibly sexist. Walden and Rice have been a pair for a long time. So that wasn't as big a deal internally in terms of actual work, output, but it was from a political perspective, just career suicide by Chappie, based on what we know now. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Chappie finds out that either Rice has gone to the board or the board has gone to Rice and they're in conversation about several complaints rising about Chappick. And here's the thing about it. It wasn't just Peter Rice. There were other division heads who clearly expressed frustration. And for a time, things got bonkers at Disney. And I'm really impressed they kept most of this stuff out of the press because, I mean, it's just like bombshell after bombshell. And the main one is Tappic himself finds out that Rice is a threat and assassinates him, which is something we had speculated at the time. But even after that happened, it wasn't a sure thing during those next couple of weeks that Tappic would get the contract extension. There was talk among members of the board that one of them would become Disney's temporary CEO while they tried again with a new succession plan for Disney. And Raul, that's in a way history repeating itself, isn't it?
2: There was always one person that could have been waiting in the wings to have been CEO, and you mentioned him earlier, and that was Kevin Meyer. And in fact, his partner, Tom Staggs, was a potential candidate for CEO as well. When they got passed over for Chapic in what now was clearly a pragmatic decision, if not, in fact, a uh, sacrificial lamb decision when Chappick got the job instead, Kevin Meyer left the company and has now founded his uh, his own little studio, Candle Media. But these guys, both Meyer and Stags remain as potential new candidates as CEO should Iger ever want to let go again.
1: Even the most ardent supporters of Bob Iger would have to admit that he is completely blown any and all succession plans at Disney. And this was actually an imperative that the board gave him in 2016 because when Staggs left, which was a complete shock at the time, he had won a bake-off against Jay Raslow and everyone was convinced he was next CEO of Disney. And then one day he was just gone. I mean, you know, it wasn't as grand as still as what we saw Sunday, but it would have been an order of uh, magnitude one or two down from that. It was a big deal. And I remember a critic of Disney's decision noted at the time, that Iger now had to clear the bar of the next candidate being better than Staggs. And that has stuck with me for six years because let me tell you, we would all agree, Bob Chapek most assuredly is not a better candidate than what Stags was. He was a former CFO at Disney. He wasn't just a creative. He was also a numbers person under whose regime the company had enjoyed explosive growth. And in fact, Wall Street called Disney's decision into question. People were just randomly going on record with the reporters to say how much they liked. Like Stags and how much they regretted that decision, and then the same thing was true of Meyer, where everybody was operating under the assumption. I shouldn't say everybody, but most people by this point who were in the know realized Meyer had passed Chapek as the logical successor. And then just one day, because of the pandemic and COVID nineteen, it all collapses, and they go with the Bean Counter. And while Bob Pitch- and while Bob Chapek may hate the name, you'll notice I'm stuttering as I say it. Bob Paycheck is the nickname he is never getting away from because that is his perception and perception has become reality. So regardless of what the future holds, what we
2: have now is Bob Iger coming back in to, quote unquote, save Disney. And so Disney saved, right? Everything's good. It's all clear skies.
1: No more uh, no more headwinds. I don't even know at this point. I mean, the reality is, if you've listened to this podcast, I've actually used this reference before, that we suspected all along that Bob Iger might have framed Bob Chapek for murder, the corporate equivalent of it, in that he said, here, take this hot potato, I'm leaving. And then, you know, the thing blows up completely on Chapek. Most of the problems Bob Chapek inherited came from Bob Iger. Isn't that true, Raul? If you can call them problems short-term problems? Is it fair to say short-term but probably not long-term?
2: Not long-term. I think Disney is set up to succeed in the long-term, but to get there, you're going to have to go through some pain. The most likely potential for success at the Walt Disney Company is for Disney Plus to become a successful streaming service with high average revenue per user because we know that theatrical is on the decline, that linear is on the decline, and while the parks and cruise ships continue to be money generators, that alone is not enough to keep the company afloat. If you want to be a company that makes movies and TV shows, you can't just be making movies and TV shows at a loss because you're being subsidized by parks and cruise ships. If that's your business, then you want to get out of movies and TV shows and just do parks and cruise ships. But yeah, the the pandemic certainly hurt. When parks and cruise ships were no longer revenue generators and all you had left was, fortunately, Disney Plus that everybody flocked to because, A, there was a pandemic, but B, more importantly, Disney Plus was being sold at a massive massive loss. You get the subscribers first and you turn them to profit later. And for the last three years, Disney Plus has been all about getting the subscribers and you'll worry about increasing the price later. And we are now at that point where those subscribers that that have been paying pennies for the subscription service for nearly 36 months are at a point where they have to be converted into much more profitable subscribers or they're going to unsubscribe from your platform. And if you can convert them, that's great. But I would argue that a lot of them are simply going to drop the streaming service. And this is these are those headwinds that Chappik has talked about. You might end up losing subscribers and Disney Plus isn't going to be profitable immediately. And all of this is because this is how you set up the streaming service in the first place. It's it's honestly how you set up almost anything. It's how you turn a website that sells books into amazon.com. That's you right. You sell things at a loss and eventually you convert them into profitable uh, consumers.
1: Nobody cares that Amazon was selling 99 cent DVDs back in 1998. Now they care that Amazon got the millions of customers daily who were like, oh, this is the place that sells cheap DVDs sometimes. Iger set a plan in motion really as far back as we could argue 2015, 2016 is a, a minimum. This is year six of a 10 year plan where Disney gets out of linear television and turns the linear television model of advertising plus people paying to subscribe into a new thing on digital. It has been well executed and very, very bright. And if anything, it has gone much better than anybody could have possibly believed because there was a time where they were saying 60 to 90 million subscribers by 2024. Well, guess what? We've got a lot more than that right now today. However, there is a growing belief that the more Disney ad subscribers, the more money they're actually losing per quarter, which isn't correct. And, you know, I could show the numbers on that, but you can't yell into the wind or point, shake your fist at clouds or whatever on this, people are going to believe what they're going to believe. And what they believe is the fact that Disney just lost an average of $500 million a month over the last fiscal quarter. For the year, they were $4 billion underwater on their direct-to-digital content. And that is a massive amount of money. Like Roll is saying, it was an intentional design. It's a loss leader. But now it's actually showing up on the balance sheets and people hate Chappik anyway. So he outlived his usefulness. That's really all this is, is that past a certain point, we were beyond the pandemic and we no longer needed Bob Paycheck in charge. We wanted somebody who could start making those inroads again with Hollywood, with Wall Street and get the friends back.
2: You need to get there. And unfortunately, Traffic was in a position where he was saddled with this loss leader and he never made it to the point where it was going to be profitable. I said it before, the plan works. You need to stick with the plan. Traffic didn't get to the point where step three make money
1: in Uh, fact it was hilarious with the timing on this because as we all know we're less than three weeks away from disney plus adding advertising and at that point the average revenue per user is going to increase dramatically and those losses are going to decrease dramatically, which will mean at that point, JPEC would have said, hey, look at me, I'm doing a lot better. You can't do anything about me now. I've got two plus years left on my contract. So it's almost like they realized he was about to do better. So they put a dagger in him while they could. Am I reading that correctly, Raul? Do you disagree?
2: No, I don't disagree. I'm just wondering if maybe it was, I think I think anyone who re- read the balance sheet and understood the numbers and realized that profitability is on the brink would have understood that Chappick was on his way to that profitability. And now Iger gets to reap the benefits of that. The fact that Chappick got cut, fired, stabbed in the back, killed, murdered, assassinated, any way you want to put it, just before that happens, I think means that it was much more of a personality thing than it ever was a money thing. Yes, Disney was going to lose money during the pandemic. And now we are in, some would say, a recession. And that's negatively affecting the company as well. And yes, Disney's CFO evidently was not a fan of chappic and didn't think that he really had a firm grasp of the company's financials. But none of that really is what dragged Chapik down. I think it was the Rice thing. It was a Scarlett Johansson thing. It was a Reedy Creek thing. It was all the constant missteps along the way. It was the reorganizing of the company. It was putting Kareem Daniel in charge of deciding where each project landed and what was going to Hulu and what was going to Disney Plus and what was going to Theatrical and what was going to ABC. Decisions now where Iger gets to come in and undo and he ends up looking like the hero
1: This is the thing about it that amuses me to no end. We even made the reference at the time. I don't remember if it made it into the podcast or not, but Peter Rice was the Hollywood equivalent of a made man. We referenced the fact that his father did a favor for Rupert Murdoch, that Rupert Murdoch considered one of the biggest things that ever happened in his career. And so Peter Rice has been the golden child since he was a child. I joke, Murdoch might like Peter Rice more than his own children. That's the reality of it. Well, Bob Iger also really liked likes this guy as well. And for people as diametrically opposed like Murdoch and Iger to feel the same way about someone, that person is golden. You can't, Killed that person. And we kind of hinted as much at the time, just as we said, we really respected Chappic for the move. I mean, it was a power move, but it's one of those things that he really, really regrets now. I, I know that Kim and some other people, including one of my colleagues at Mickey blog has referred to it as the red wedding. And that is the reality of it. He did something with Peter Rice that you don't do in Hollywood. It is not the way business is done. You don't kill someone in seven minutes. You invite him out to dinner. You say, hey, it's not you. It's me. I hope we can still be friends. Chapik said, get out. And for the same reason, when the time came at the Elton John concert, he got the same treatment. And that's both karma. And that is people who've been waiting to get him for a long, long time we've spent a lot of time
2: talking about what already happened and let's talk then let's take the next 10 minutes that we've got left here to discuss like just what we expect will happen we've got a couple of things I think immediately that are good news for Iger immediately as he arrives one of which is I feel Disney is pushing really hard on their Star Wars series Andor they feel it is a strong contender for awards and critical recognition and in fact they're putting it out on a number of different platforms starting with we're recording on uh Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving. If you're watching, uh, if you're watching ABC tonight, you are going to get to watch the first two episodes of Andor. It's also going to play on FX tomorrow on Thanksgiving, on Freeform, the former ABC family, on Friday, and uh, those same episodes are going to be available to Hulu subscribers for the next week. This is, I would say, unquestionably a vote of confidence in the series. You don't do this to a series that premiered and didn't make any waves. This oh, is. Oh,
1: this is absolutely Disney saying, hey, we finally did a Star Wars. Look, it's not bad. It's a Star Wars. You love Star Wars.
2: But they've been doing Star Wars all along. This is a good Star Wars that I think is That's getting... That's
1: what I'm saying. You haven't seen those on Hulu or on ABC, no. have you? No, this one's,
2: This one's getting critical acclaim and fantastic acting from uh, supporting actors like Stellan Sarsgaard and Andy Serkis. This has been a great series. You could take this outside of the Star Wars universe and still recognize it as a really good drama. In fact, I'd say it's so unlike the Star Wars that David has come to hate that it almost has no appeal to children. There's almost nothing here that is really childlike, except every once in a while, you'll get a couple of spaceships that are shooting at each other. It is great television drama and Disney is pushing it hard. And I think they're going to reap rewards from that in terms of critical acclaim and probably in terms of viewership.
1: Yeah. And I want to emphasize this. I've made it clear over the years, I could care less about Star Wars, but this is time. Tony Gilroy and Tony Gilroy did Michael Clayton and Michael Clayton's one of the best movies of the 2000s and he also did Rogue One A Star Wars Story which is one of the better Star Wars ever probably for me top three. I didn't love it the way other people did but you know I'm not a Star Wars guy. So this is the type of thing that actually if I were gun to my head gonna watch a Star Wars I know everyone would say the Obi-Wan Kenobi show no I have no interest in that Ewan McGregor was terrible in those movies I don't want to see more of that. Rogue One oh wait and or alright I've made fun of the title but this is something that, you know, has some chops to it. And it's just hilarious. These are the expensive shows that Wall Street is dinging Disney for making. But hey, look, quality matters.
2: And then another shot in the arm, which again, probably doesn't have much to do with the fact that Iger now is in charge is uh, the fact that China is opening up their theaters for the Avatar sequel, Avatar The Way of Water. This is important, not only because China is potentially the largest theater market in the world, but also the fact that for the better part of the last couple of years now china's theaters have been either closed entirely or at the minimum closed to hollywood movies the fact that china's saying they're willing to open up their theaters and open them up to this upcoming disney movie it's what theatrical has been waiting for since 2020, when the pandemic essentially killed movie theaters.
1: And I'll add the fact that one of the most popular people in China is Bob Iger. That was not true of Bob Chapek, which means these Marvel movies that have not been getting theatrical releases in China, that could very well change and very soon. I do wonder
2: how quickly this decision was made. I mean, was this had this been in the works for some time, or did Iger come in Monday morning, pick up the phone and call up some of uh, some of his friends in China and make sure this happened?
1: I would say the truth lies in the middle. I'm sure that this was underway for an extended period of time. However, I've also watched other attempts like this fail. If they were on the fence about it, I am 100% sure Bob Iger could put it over the top because when you hear the stories about the things he has done with the Chinese government, you realize the respect they have for him that, frankly, they just don't demonstrate to most people. You realize Bob Iger matters in a way that Bob Chapek was never going to.
2: So then what's left to discuss here? We know that before he was pushed out, Chapek had announced that there was going to be layoffs and that he is starting a new, um, what do you call it? A fiscal responsibility board. He was yeah, putting out
1: those layoffs, I, I feel like it's important to stress this. He had set up a task force to do those layoffs, and it makes me so angry, like I could clench my fists enough to draw blood with my fingernails. It was going to be a three-person task force, a hand-picked goon of his, him, and the CFO, of Disney. And I honestly believe that might have been the beginning of the end right there where Disney's board knows they're as thin as they can be. And I'm really going to be curious to see how Bob Iger approaches this, because if there are layoffs immediately after he comes in, that's going to burn some of his goodwill. So how much leeway does he get financially that apparently Chapek wasn't getting?
2: What we do expect or what we do know here is that Iger is going to have to make some big moves quickly. He can't come in and then just keep things status quo. There's already talk about, well, if if, if Iger comes in, he's going he's gonna to have to do some uh, purchases. He's going to have to buy some companies just to make it look like he's doing something. That's what I say as the M&A guy here. Um, I'm always saying what company should be buying what company. It makes sense, I would argue, that uh, Disney should buy Candle Media. This is the Meyer and Staggs company. It owns a handful of really interesting properties, not the least of which is Cocoa Melon. If Disney brought those into the fold for, I'd argue, a small sum of money compared to going out there and spending tens of billions of dollars on something else, that would be very reasonable. We know Disney still has to sort out the Hulu situation where they co-own that streaming service with Comcast. And within a matter of months, one of the two needs to blink and the other one needs to cut the other one a big check. So it's a simple matter of who's going to blink. And right now, if I was Brian Roberts, the CEO of Comcast, and I'm sitting across the table from Bob Iger, I'm a lot more afraid than than if I had to sit across the table from Bob Chapik.
1: Yeah. Reed Hastings of Netflix said as much. It was an accidental mega dig at Chapek when he said, Rats, I was hoping Bob Iger would stay out of this. He's really, really good. In other words, the guy running Netflix wasn't afraid of Chapek. He is concerned about Iger. And that kind of tells the whole story right there. And it's not even, like, you can be in baseball a 270 hitter who hits 30 home runs. That doesn't mean you're Ronald Acuna Jr. You know, there's a difference between being really good at something and being one one of the best five in the world at something, and Bob Iger on anyone's checklist would be at the top of media CEOs over the last 25 years. That's just the reality of it. So now he does have the decisions to make, and Raul, you've already touched on it. Right now, there's a belief that he is assembling a list of the things he believes Disney needs for the next five to 10 years. Anything that's not on that list, Disney might get rid of, and the reason why is, while it's not a big number by any stretch, they do carry a little over 40 48 billion of debt. I'm not looking at it right now. I want to say it's either 48.3 or 48.4 billion. If they sold something like Hulu, they could basically wipe out most of that in one fell swoop and then then they could look into acquiring again. And let's be clear, that has always been the play for Bob Iger is finding undervalued things and snagging them for a fraction of what they're actually worth. I cannot stress this enough. On the day the Marvel deal was announced, you could not find anybody who liked that deal for Disney. They thought he had crazy overpaid for it, which just is comically laughable with the benefit of hindsight. Candle Media is an interesting one. Raul, I know that you are always chasing IP and you have been talking about these various holding companies that you've done so much due diligence on that have cleverly, and I need to emphasize this, very cleverly snagged IPs. Don't you think it's possible Iger does one of those?
2: There's a couple of options out there. I'd argue, in fact, <laughs> E1 is great potential here. Right now, E1 is a studio that is owned by Hasbro. The former chief executive at Hasbro expanded the company massively beyond toys and purchased this Canadian production studio called E1. And and that made a lot of sense at the time because Hasbro was expanding their toy line into Hollywood. So you can imagine the Transformers movies, the G.I. Joe movies, and in fact, a lot of animated series like My Beloved My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. It made a lot of sense. That synergy was great. But the new CEO at Hasbro, after the passing of the previous CEO, thinks that the company needs to pare down a lot. And this production house, E1, while they brought with it some interesting properties, including the PJ Mask cartoons, which are very successful on Netflix, and uh, the Peppa Pig cartoons, they produce other stuff which are really outside the realm of what Hasbro does. One example is the uh, TV series franchise, The Rookie, and uh, its spinoff. Uh, the Rookie FBI, I think it's called. They produce those shows. They own those shows. Now, what does that have to do with Hasbro? I'd argue nothing at all. And Hasbro has made it very clear that they want to spin off E1, not all of it, but part of it. And what part of it that they want to spin off? Clearly, these properties that do not really fall in line with their toy lines and their cartoons and their merchandising. And uh, remind me, guys, what channel does uh, the Rookie play on? ABC. Who owns ABC? Synergy Machine. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's an easy get right now. Hasbro is selling and it's a uh, buyer's market. Everyone wants cash and Disney still happens to have some cash on hand. E1 is an easy get. Disney would get uh, a number of different interesting properties, including the, let's call it what it is, Black Panther knockoff, The Woman King. That is another production from E1. All of this would now become Disney property. Hasbro would retain Transformers and G.I. Joe and... Peppa Pig and PJ Mask, but Disney would inherit all the much more adult-oriented content that E. One had been producing, and I think that's some low-hanging fruit right there. You look at these uh, other companies that have been uh, collecting these IPs out there. Again, they are not collecting IP for their own sake. They're collecting IP so that someone with big money bags comes to their door and say, "Hey, do you want these big money bags?" That is exactly what Mayer and Stags have been doing. They're waiting for their uncle Bob Iger to come and visit and give them a great big payday. That is what these IP aggregators are doing. That is what they're waiting for. And the time has come.
1: And I want to go ahead and add this fact. I think at this point, and Raul, I believe you agree with me, television and movie licensing is kind of out of control and that marketplace is saturated and the things are currently overvalued or at least valued accurately. Do you agree with that?
2: I'd say so. I think everybody knows what their assets are worth and no one's going to take a cut on that.
1: Right. We've gotten smarter in the marketplace about that. Well, Iger has never been about what's happening now. He's about what's happening next. And I have tracked him carefully during the, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, I've got like drones outside his house or anything, but every time he's had a news cycle, I have paid attention to what he was saying. And what he's been doing most is the web 3.0 stuff, the virtual reality stuff, the metaverse stuff. Now, I'm not saying that the metaverse is everything. Never going to be quite what people expect, but there is going to be a new way that people actually consume the internet. And Bob Iger has actually acquired some companies in plan of that. I believe that right now, the undervalued assets are the video game franchises, the video game licenses, because those already have built-in stories with rich histories. And if you can get one of those right now, I think you're getting it for 25 cents on what the dollar will be five or 10 years from now. I do
2: want to close out with a lot of the speculation that's been going on since Iger came in. There's been a couple of really big, buzzy stories that really aren't going to go anywhere. One of them is that Iger's big move is going to be to buy Netflix. First and foremost, Netflix isn't selling. And honestly, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos aren't looking to get out of what is right now a very successful business. And it wouldn't make sense for Disney anyway. Netflix does not fit into that synergy machine. It is just another outlet for streaming content. What does Netflix bring to the table that Disney doesn't already have? And the other one is this, I'm going to call it absurd, story that the rap ran with that Iger is going to... Let me, let me. me. Have at it, David. Have at it.
1: They said that he is going to make his final career move be to sell Disney... To Apple, and let me just say, if that happens, uh, I will be absolutely stunned. Like, I don't even think there's a 1% chance, a one out of 100 on this. I legitimately don't, because next year, starting in January, is Disney's centennial. Bye, bye, cares way too much about his company to spend the 100th anniversary of it selling it to a bigger fish. There's just no way. That is something somebody does for clickbait.
2: Yeah, there's too many people at Disney, including on the board, who love the company too much to have it be taken over by somebody else. And all that resistance, even if Apple as a buyer were able to push through all that resistance, that would bring up the price dramatically and it's honestly not the best use of Apple's resources. Apple has by and large never really done purchases like this. The the biggest example of a purchase like this that Apple ever did was when they bought Steve Jobs' company Next, because A, they wanted Steve Jobs back as their CEO, and B, they needed a new operating system for their Macintosh computers, and Next happened to have it. That is- right.
1: They basically, they had Jobs figured out what they were going to need before they did. If, if we were in a situation like that, I could see it, but- Jobs was just smarter than everyone else. This isn't
2: that. Yeah. Apple buys companies for the technology. They don't go around buying IP. Apple, in fact, buys probably dozens of companies every year. It's just very small companies that they're buying because they want to get the patents and they want to get the engineers. Buying Disney is outside of what Apple does. It's just not in their scope. So that's not going to happen. It's just not in the cards. It was all clickbait. It's a silly little rumor that no one should ever pay attention to. I can see how these companies Companies might complement each other, but even looking at like Apple TV Plus, the shows on Apple TV Plus do not belong to Apple. They're licensed. They're licensed from companies like Candle Media, Sony, Lionsgate. Apple doesn't generally care to be in the entertainment production business. Do you really think that they want to be in the theme park and cruise ship business? No, God help us. No, no, Apple's not buying
1: Disney. In short, Bob Iger has built his career on acquiring. And that's what we're expecting as his next thing. And, Ro, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you think it's fair to say that he has been considering this possibility of returning to Disney for a while? And if so, he probably does have a gambit in his back pocket.
2: I didn't see it coming. He seems seriously ready to be out of the business. I think that when he was approached, that he saw that the company needed him and he had enough love for the company that he decided that he was ready to step in at least temporarily. It may very well be because he's been hired on for two years. It may very well be that he finds that he still has a love for it and that he wants to stay on for another couple of years after that, which again brings it to question this whole business of succession. Come on, Bob. It's time to decide who's going to replace you if you said it yourself to me the other day, David, one day Bob Iger doesn't wake up in the morning.
1: I don't want to be dark about it, but if you're the board of directors, you have to realize a 71-year-old man. He's in exquisite shape. I wish I were in as good a shape at my age as he is at 71. But you have to have contingencies in place. And Disney, my God, we're almost a decade in and they haven't found it yet.
2: Yeah, I don't think that he was looking to get back in. He may indeed stay on for a while simply because he enjoys it so much. But he was ready to be out of it. He just realized that... He was needed and he was called and stepped up. No, I, I thought that Iger was well and truly out for good.
1: Yeah, I'm the opposite of you. I think that he intentionally strung this out as much as he could so that he could keep overseeing Chapek. And then past a certain point when he retired, he realized he was absolutely miserable. And I will say, when I watch people retire, it really can go Either way, where some people are like, oh, I will never work a day in my life again. And other people like I have nothing to do. I just want to shrivel up and die. Bob Iger is in the second category. And I know this because there are all kinds of reports out there that when people would hang out with Bob Iger, he would talk about Disney so much and how. Chapik was ruining his legacy so much that it became uncomfortable and some people were avoiding him. And I don't think you do that unless you really are planning to hang around for a while. So that's why I've already written a couple of articles about this and I will probably write more. I don't think he's just here for two years. Now, if either Meyer or Stags comes back into the fold or both... I'm wrong. You can just go ahead and say it right there. I'm wrong because one of those two is going to lead Disney into the next generation. But until we see something like that, I don't think Dana Walden is ready. I don't think Josh tomorrow is ready. And I'm also not sure that after what happened with JPEC, that you can promote the current head of Disney's parks division to be the leader of Disney. Cause last time it did not work out at all. So I'm operating the assumption that we've got Iger for the next five years. I really am.
2: So then to put a point on this, Iger had a very successful career at Disney. He's, in fact, made a name for himself as one of the titans of industry. His name's up there with Steve Jobs and Henry Ford and Andrew Carnegie.
1: Absolutely agree. In fact, I, I think that in the modern generation, the two names above everyone else really are Jobs and Iger. And I don't think it's coincident. the two men respected each other and had such a strong working relationship because you can't smell your own in these situations.
2: So then coming back is a big risk. Iger is risking sullying his legacy. He only comes back because he thinks he can carry on and, in fact, add to it. So The way I see it, yes, probably stays on longer than two years, but what horizons are there left for this man? He needs to right the ship and then he has to make some big moves. So I see this as very exciting, the potential, but also fraught with danger. These are going to be very interesting times.
1: I mean, yeah, We don't know what's going to happen next with Disney, but the reality is JPEC was dealt a losing hand by Bob Iger, who now has to deal himself in with an even worse version of that hand. So there's a lot of questions here, but there's also that upside of if Iger pulls this off, he really is Steve Jobs forever, period.